this is a uh, Brandon Daggers Nexus podcast. Um, my next guest, he doesn't need any introduction at all. He's probably one of the most humblest people I've ever met personally. Met him at Anarchopoco a couple of years back, and honored to even, you know, mention that I consider him a friend. So I've got Anthem Blanchard with me. How are you doing, Anthem? I'm doing great, Brandon. Thank you. Humbled by that introduction, and it's awesome to reconnect here on your show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. So your dad, there's so much I want to get into, but um, I heard a story about your dad and I, I heard your, your your dad was, was very charismatic and, and humble as well, but I heard he actually had smuggled gold into the, the, the U.S. like when it was still illegal. I don't know if that's just a rumor, if that's true or, but uh, I, he did. I heard- he did. He was, he, he, he smuggled gold from Canada when it was illegal. Uh, from 1933 through 1974, it was illegal for U.S. citizens to own gold. And he smuggled it in from Canada and uh, ended up parading around Washington, D.C. And he was really a fearless individual. He also happened to be in a wheelchair. He was paraplegic, paralyzed from the waist down from a car accident that he really died and came back to life. He was in like the old school version of a ventilator, effectively an iron lung, and had multiple vertebrae in his back shattered, had like an indenture in his back uh, a few inches long. And uh, from that really ended up creating with my mom an empire of uh, gold retailing uh, investment conferences. My parents created the world's largest gold retail business, uh, eponymous with my dad's name, James E. Blanchard and Company. Um, and then also uh, created the old's, uh, the world's oldest uh, still going investment conference, New Orleans Investment Conference. It's uh, owned and run today by uh, a guy named Brian London, who's a friend and a shareholder of ours. And so that's, that's really the legacy. And my dad really, my mom kind of helped to push for the re-legalization of gold bullion to be uh, owned by U.S. citizens. And that's right, yeah, he's the one who flew the banner over the, uh, the Nixon speech, right? That's right. Yeah, he flew a banner that said legalized gold over Nixon's uh, re-inauguration into a second term, which, of course, he famously got impeached. And that was a pretty epic moment in time. And obviously, we're experiencing some shades of some similarity today uh, in terms of epic moments and changes. And it's interesting how history is kind of rhyming again, it seems like. And, and my dad passed away, sadly, uh, 20 years ago. He was very young, 55 years old. And, um, but despite, you know, really passing away at such a young age, he accomplished just tremendous things and really lived an incredible life. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'm humbled to be able to continue to at least push the momentum a little bit, um, you know, more toward the direction that he was pushing it in, which ultimately is a freedom to be able to choose what you have and what you want to do with yourself and your value and ultimately to be able to protect it. And that, that ultimately gives you freedom um, of choice. So by being able to protect your value. and now, I think Bitcoin is really an extension of, of this idea because it gives the holder of 
the Bitcoin, of the crypto tokens autonomy. And no one is really able to forcefully take it away without extreme amounts of cost. And I think that that provides a very good check and balance system um, to help prevent people from getting violent and stealing um, from each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jim just seemed like such such cool guy too. And I'm really, you know, it's amazing that you're, you know, continuing what he's doing. And then you're also, you're also kind of creating like your own legacy where you're, you're throwing in, okay, I've now we're going to do gold backed crypto. Yeah. And I think it's more transparent than Goldman. And, you know, if I had to choose between them, I would definitely choose going your way. You know, it definitely seems more transparent. And then also, you know, on top of that, you're doing Herc and, and all that stuff to kind of go into that for me. Be good. Yeah. Yeah. We've been developing in gold tokens for seven years. We developed the first ever as a marketing tool called Independence Coin about seven years ago. And then built another version called Hyatt Gold that turned out to be a test because we were early on regulation in the U.S. This was uh, five years ago. And that uh, caused us to delay a little bit. It was good. We needed to wait for the market. And um, a year ago, we launched a gold token in the U.S. That's a live gold token. It's Anthem Gold. It's the first ever gold token in the U.S. It's in Texas. It's uh, anthemgold.com is the URL. You'll see there's a video. It's the first ever gold stored that's on video 24 hours a day. It's all Lloyds of London insured. And uh, the Hercules platform that you mentioned came about. We needed a way to secure the gold inventory in a way that was believable to people. And so we decided that this mechanism would be great. And so we basically created a way to be able to log all of the information that comes in and out of the vault, basically a bar being added to the vault or removed from the vault for the gold token product to be able to have that tracked by this software that we called Hercules. And Hercules is, is basically a way to make Bitcoin software commercial. So in other words, usable for businesses and governments to be able to tap into Bitcoin's hardness as a software and its ability to have incorruptible data information. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, sorry. I, I just like to kind of let my guests um, do all the talking. I'm, I'm a weird host like that. But uh, <laughs> so kind of go into like, so if I wanted to trans, like if I want to transfer some of my gold back crypto to somebody else, um, kind of explain to the listeners how, how I would go, go about it. So you go to uh, anthemgold.com. Right now, it's the only way that you can buy us directly. We don't have any secondary markets that I know of um, for the gold token. So you go to anthemgold.com and set up an account. And then we're available, I think, in like 174 countries. Of course, the U.S. being as highly regulated as it is, I, we're only available in Montana, Texas, and Wyoming right now. We took like a super conservative approach on our own gold token just to be conservative. And we're really kind of looking outside of the U.S. as an ultimate market. Really where we're focused now is Hercules and the, the inventory software for Anthem Gold. It's, it's pretty cool. It, it basically is ransomware proof. Well, it is ransomware proof. And what makes it ransomware proof is that we eliminate all central databases because we use 100% public protocols in the way that we built Hercules. It's, 
if you will, like a, a cake. It's like a three-layer cake. It's like a recipe of Bitcoin with Hercules as the icing in the mortar. So we've got processing layer in Ethereum. We have the data layer, which is really at the bottom, which is Factum. That allows us to imprint into Bitcoin uh, every time cost predictive, 32 ten thousandths of a, of a penny. And then we have a storage layer of tardigrade STO or JIPFS. We tie all that together using Hercules. It's like the icing around in the middle. Or you can kind of use the analogy of Bitcoin like being a wild horse. And then we have all of these layers, basically like a saddle and a bridle and stirrups and reins and all of these different tools effectively to layer. And then by having all those layers effectively, we're able to get more utility out of the horse as a, as a tool. And, and it's a little bit akin to what the Red Hat group did with Linux software when they created the Linux Apache MySQL PHP LAMP stack, quote unquote. Basically open source software components that enabled an open source centralized database platform. Um, and that was really revolutionary at the time. This was like in the early to mid 90s, basically, because before that, you basically had to go to like a traditional closed source enterprise software and not only get them to implement their software, but then you'd have to pay them licensing fees for their software on top of that. And it was like super unpredictable because all changes to anything all had to go through that same company. Mm. And so that was what really opened up and really like all electronics that we use or you know whether we're passengers of a vehicle or using a phone or any actively or passively using electronics chances are it's using lamp you know or it's using some kind of open you know mean mongo is another more popular kind of alternative to lamp stack kind of in the last 10 years or so um but really like linux lamp stack you know like Apple is based on versions of, of really Linux, LAMP stack and Unix. And it's all, it's all basically stack layered of this database software. And so, you know, really what we've done is basically kind of get inspired by that approach and then kind of just apply it to public protocols, which are just distributed network software. So it's, it, it pushes the edge, uh, the databases to the edge is what public protocols do, like Bitcoin, Ethereum. Hercules. Yeah, Her Hercules is not a is not a blockchain. So it is different from like a Bitcoin or Ethereum. We we rely on Ethereum security on the processing and Bitcoin security on the data and ultimately tardigrades on the storage. We put the pieces together in a way that businesses can use the components together. Nice. So a yeah. bit like a assembly it's like line. like an ERC ERC20 token, right? Hercules is an ERC-20, and it's uh, also 11.55 uh, capable. So that means that it has the ability to have trackable changes in the contract. And each one of those trackable changes is its own asset. Yeah, yeah, definitely seems like you guys are doing amazing things. So you, you'll, you're going to be able to do a lot with the, this ERC-20 token. You're going to be able to kind of go into what you see overall with with what you plan on on doing with well it's not just an erc20 but 
kind of go over like the the main objective or goal that you're trying to do with with um with Herc. Really, with Hercules, it's it's really to provide ransomware proof data and and applications and 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 really to help you know through better security better accountability you know we can basically make people you know infinitely more secure and and companies you know really infinitely more secure and governments infinitely more secure and therefore you know better faster and infinitely more efficient cost efficient Nice. And, so, and, like, we can we can we can secure people on enterprise levels at pennies a month, right? Versus like dollars or many pennies a month, and and really still have security holes and and performance issues because you're having to do so many checks to try to like play watch guard against software, and and that's a very inefficient way to deal with security because it's not technically a hundred percent secure. So what all like uh, now? You'll be able to use Herc token. Then I think you, you, with that explained, you'll be able to do her use Herc token for almost anything, right? Eventually, yeah. I mean, the idea right now is really just the reference hash. So it's the same as Factum Burn. That's all we've applied right now. What we're basically doing is like allowing ourselves a lot of flexibility with the utility of the token. So rather than kind of like rushing and trying to create all these applications on day one, we really have no idea what the commercial ability of the software even will be. We've taken kind of the tortoise approach and kind of just said, let's, let's wait, let's get clients, enterprise clients, and then over time, we'll turn Hercules from a protocol into a blockchain. We'll secure ourselves, we'll make it more efficient, because really, we probably could minimize Ethereum at that point as a layer, which would be good. It's kind of what Ethereum was meant for, really, is kind of like a launch platform. So I'm excited. You know, I, I think that, you know, we've got concepts of proof of work, like a human proof of work that we've got drawn out in our academic paper. And, you know, I think that that could be a really cool way to get people engaged into crypto. Because basically what we're building is an all-in-one business tool. Someone can pick it up, they can book entries, they can, you know, literally orders. The minute order is placed, it's booking all the way from the order all the way into the financial statement, all your inventory, it's all one. So like all the cost of doing business and the inability to get this gargantuan custom type software, we want to kind of eliminate that ultimately. And so right now, all the builds that we do for people, we, we do it out of a company called Hera Software Development. So Hera is kind of like our Red Hat or IBM. Hera, we incorporated this year. It's, we have a family of companies under a single company. And so this company, Hera, deploys Hercules. And Hera, we had to create because we started to get interest from governments and major companies. And now we've been in different progresses we're almost finished our first enterprise client build that should be public in about a month and then you know we'll keep working with them to version it and then we've got a number of others that we're in talks with from feasibility study to nearing terms uh, so it's exciting times i mean it, it's 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 the cusp of commercialization of crypto and bitcoin and i think that that really is uh is what we've all really in, in this space have been excited about is really to see mass adoption 
which yeah. really only comes from commercialization. Right. Because yeah. until technology or innovation commercializes, it's a hobby. And it's like a very small amount of people, ultimately a minority, that get involved. And in order to make it a majority, you really have to, you know, have it be commercial. And that, that, that's really what makes it widespread. Yeah, you have to create the tools to be able to get it to, to everybody. That, it's a combo. It's that and also the market has to be ready. I mean, a lot of times it's easy to create the tools, relatively speaking, but if people aren't really ready to use it because they kind of deem what they have to be good enough, then they'll just kind of keep doing what they have. I think we're in this environment where interest rates have been really zero negative for years now globally. You know, obviously more and more pain, you know, more and more emptiness and promises for more and more people from more and more bailouts. And the more of this type of consistency of an emptiness, basically, of this kind of old, what I call forced marketplace commerce system, the more people are going to want a new way to do business and a way that's trustable, a way that, you know, whether you've ever known the person or not, that you know when you're looking at numbers what you see is what you get and you can tie those numbers that are impossible to corrupt and you can tie all sorts of other things to them images and videos and audio and all sorts of stuff because once you have a record of trust then whatever you want to attach to that record of trust is totally universal like it could be anything and that's what I'm excited about that, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, these public protocols are public blockchains are to the point when they actually can be scalable. You actually can use them, you know, or just about that in terms of like what our expectations are of quality of service, right? Like you and I are talking on a zoom call right now. That's like made possible by gargantuan centralized server farms. You know, that's why we can have this call like so cheap, basically. So like in order to get even more orders of magnitude cheap and good quality, you have to distribute the databases. And that's what we do. That's what public protocols do. They distribute databases that otherwise would be centralized. And so it's, it, it's taking the central cloud and making it the distributed cloud. And by making it a distributed cloud, you can make it a decentral cloud to a degree because you basically can add decentral components to the cloud. Yeah, so even if even if one gets knocked out, you still have all these others contributing. Yeah, exactly, because it's a distributed architecture, which means that there's no single point of failure. There's always, like, for every, like, one node, quote-unquote, or, like, one person running the software, that there's always like multiple other instances that are running it. And it's not just running off of like one instance, basically or like one like lump set of instances is one instance, like a giant central cloud, for example. That's what makes it so different. Yeah, I, I, I like that too, because it, it, you know, you have multiple people verifying it, not just one centralized place that can easily be corrupt exactly so you know i don't really think that there's a better person to talk to about gold silver and crypto i mean you're you're kind of got you know got your hands in all of it but uh well i don't know about silver 
But um, yeah, we do silver too with Anthem Vault. Uh, we we don't do a token yet. Uh, okay, yeah, that's great. That's great. Wh- where do you see the market heading as as a whole, and where would you recommend like Agris, you know, kind of clamoring to? Well, I'm not an investment advisor, so I can't really give investment yeah. advice. However, well, well you, you know, uh, I mean, investment advisors are uh, are government regulated, so we're actually really glad you're true. not one of those. True, true, that's true. Um, you know, they serve purposes that are very important because we still do live in a forced marketplace world. So we have to deal with forced marketplace commerce. But, you know, as a suggestion, what I do, basically, I can share what I, you know, do, you know, obviously, I'm very vested in our company. You know, I, you know, believe that with any like free cash that putting it in Satoshi's, you know, parts of a Bitcoin software keys is a very wise thing to do. You know, that's, what I would suggest to a degree, you know, again, like for me, a lot of my exposure comes through our company. So a lot of what I say too, is kind of like what our company does from like an inventory standpoint and things like that at different times. So kind of how we weight ourselves to try to protect ourselves from currency and just different risks in the tokens. So um, I, I, I do like, you know, BTC after the halving. I think that you know, the scarcity just on grayscale alone, you know, and taking more than what the miners are receiving right now um, since May, that, that to me is very bullish. And the volatility to me in the last few months is very bullish. Like typically, a good rule of thumb is, is that if an asset's been very widely owned and there's volatility, chances are that it's pretty close to going down, even if it does go up in the interim. And if it, the opposite is true, which I think we've just seen a little bit with Bitcoin and Satoshi's, the, the keys, is that when an asset isn't very widely owned, when you see a lot of volatility, chances are you're probably close to a really big increase in relative value. And I think that we're very close to there with BTC and probably the whole spectrum of tokens because of that. Because really, as Bitcoin goes, everything else really goes. So. Um, in the crypto world. So for the most part, except stable coins, right? But, you know, that, that, that would be my, my thinking right now for what it's worth. You know, where, do you, where, do you see, where do you see some fiat going? Yeah, no, no financial advice whatsoever on either of our ends. But, um, but where, where do you see, I, I kind of feel like we're on the verge of a currency collapse. I mean, whether it's, you know, tomorrow or four years from now, I think that close to it where where do you see fiat going and and then where do you see kind of like all these other assets you know i'm a little different about that because i don't think i don't really see a collapse in fiat i think it's gonna my view is it's gonna be a little bit more like a fade into the sunset that basically we're just gonna use less and less fiat services to really warrant needing to pay in fiat and I think we're starting to already see the beginnings of it now where basically social contracts are being broken so badly in so many ways that, you know, like people are starting to recognize, you know, I'm paying these quote unquote taxes and what I think are supposed to be for services. However, the services aren't protecting me. So why am I paying these taxes? And I think that, 
you know, life is paradoxical and ultimately we live in duality by the nature of being on earth because we have a North Pole and a South Pole magnetically. So we live in singularity and duality at the same time, which makes sense because life is a paradox. So it does make sense to me that the paradox being that while we might have a lot of thought leaders really, you know, working toward pushing toward even greater centralization that the paradox might be, and I think will be, that this push will lead to a distributed and decentralization ultimately. And I think that is really a, a matter of physics because in prisoner's dilemma game theory, which is how government operates because governments are forced marketplaces, like series of them, municipal, domestic, international, supranational, uh, you know, municipal, all these different state. Um, so they basically require force at all these different levels. And, um, you know, ultimately Bitcoin represents the potential of a voluntary marketplace because you ultimately are not required to hold any of the currency, the software keys. And also Bitcoin happens to be a form of barter, the keys. You use the keys, you receive access directly to the service of entering information into the Bitcoin protocol's data registry. And so there's a direct service that you receive. And so I think what's going to end up happening is going to be a little bit kind of like a little bit to like postage stamps. Like you still might need them from time to time, but like less and less and less. And I think eventually they'll just fade out altogether. And, you know, maybe like whatever quote unquote, sometimes essential services that the government still provides will all just get outsourced at that point, you know, out of choice because it'll just be so inefficient. Like, there'll be so like no value basically. So I, I think we're seeing this happen now. You know, I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, I could be dead wrong. You know, I, I just think that fiat's the only game in town until Bitcoin commercializes. But the conundrum is, is that we also as consumers demand like certain level of excellence and quality of service because we've now grown to expect it. And the reality is, is Bitcoin, Ethereum, these other voluntary mesh networks, they lack the bandwidth right now. They lack the throughput. Like they're not fast enough and strong enough yet to be able to serve all of the digital services like Zoom <laughs> that we're talking on right now. But it'll get there, right? So like the internet, you know, 30 years ago, you couldn't even buy something on the internet. But then obviously now, right, we buy so much stuff on the internet, right? So the internet was around 30 years ago, barely. Just come online. But before the internet, there was like a good 20, 30 years before that of government internet, quote unquote, ARPANET, DARPANET all of these other, you know, government nets, basically, that were not commercial. That's the dot-com. That's what made it the internet and commercial. Commercial, C-O-M, dot-com. Nice. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, I really love your perspective. You, I think you've got really unique perspective, and, um, and you always seem to give me hope, too, every time I... 
every time I see like one of your tweets or uh or you know Facebook uh posts, but um um what do you where do you see the gold and, and silver markets going? Are uh you know, are these good good places that we're gonna wanna get into or you know, I'd like to say yes, but I'm a little bit afraid of them, honestly, because gold is a very owned asset, you know, it is the reality. I mean, central banks own gold. I am a little nervous about it, honestly, as an asset right here. I, 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 I think that, that it sounds crazy, but I feel a lot more comfortable right now about BTC than I do about gold or silver, like in the next 18 months. Now, I'm expecting after November for there to be a big uh, correction, effectively, in uh, the stock market. And... Uh, Maybe it happens before, but I doubt it. And um, I think that it'll take gold and silver with it before they go the other way. You know, there's a lot of interesting things to remember. Like even if people like are looking back in history, like there was a time after the Roman Empire when we kind of lost track of time, really. Like there's arguments that, you know, maybe after a few hundred BC that we might have lost a couple hundred years, maybe like a few hundred years of lost time that just got, like we might actually be living in the 1700s right now or 1800s because there's like clips that were missing after the fall of the Roman empire, quote unquote. And during that time period, gold mining ceased. Most people don't know that there was a period of could be hundreds of years when like, other than like, you know, people doing rough, you know, kind of open pit mining, right? Basically, you know, river pan mining kind of stuff. I mean, there wasn't like people, you know, digging big holes in the earth and the mountains to go get it because there wasn't a need for exchange of value, sadly, you know, at that time, because things had gotten so overbuilt because there was so much forced commerce with the Roman Empire that there was a vacuum that basically got created for hundreds of years. And so this time around, I think is different because the same phenomena kind of exists, but on a global level, but this time it is a global level. And this time, thank God, 11 years ago, we as people created Bitcoin and Bitcoin is the ability to give us a trusted record. And that trusted record allows us to break forced marketplace prisoners dilemma for commerce. And that's something that looks like has been stuck with us for thousands of years. It, you know, at least since we ever had like governments, which you could argue like Egyptian or Babylonian. And so being able to have a trusted record now allows like people to do commerce based on trust rather than commerce based on fear. And we know that commerce has been based on fear because of all the records of war. Because war is really the ultimate level of fear. It's fear and collusion. Because in forced marketplaces, you need to collude in order to commerce. The two are hand in hand. You have to do one to do the other. So that's why the most revered people we remember in history were like the biggest butchers. Because... The reality is, is that like every single commercial innovation really has its nexus from violence and blood. So like the reality is that we all as people have blood on our hands, like even to this day, it's just we expropriate the violence away from us, you know, and, and it's a vicious cycle. And like, I think one of the best indicators of this is, you know, Prince Harry abdicating 
you know, his position, you know, because he wanted greater access over greater ownership. And that's this trend that is happening. And it's actually been happening for decades. It was just hard to perceive it, like arbitration of court or, you know, doing email versus snail mail where you had to use a government stamp. Like we've already been opting out of things like the court system and the government mail system or even the security system, hiring private security guards versus trusting the police, right? These trends have already been happening for decades. It's just, it's like warp speed accelerating right now because of Bitcoin and because of public protocols, because of Bitcoin and because they're starting to commercialize. Because everything about value and trust and love are all synonymous words. And you can only get to those words through communication, the only way. Now, like the methods of communication are practically universal, but you have to get to love and value through communication. It's the only way. Yeah, that's deep. I don't even know where to go after that. But um, yeah, man, I could just listen to you talk all day, really. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, well, it's man. cool because because you know because you know you're an agorist and you kind of understand you know non-aggression principle and like you know crypto and it, it's just you know for for people that are into crypto like kudos you know we're all like hobbyists you know what I mean right now all of us even like people that you know quote unquote do it for a living still because the public protocols there's not like a business or a government in the world that's like using Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything is like a critical software for like any kind of material revenue yet, but everything will be, you know, I think, I think in 10 years from today, if we had the same conversation, you know, we'd be saying, wow, like, you know, everything went like every, all business and everything that we do now in trade is all run by public protocol systems, you know, and, and I don't think it's going to, you know, I think, yeah, like VR will get better and travel will get better and health and, and all these things will get better, but we're going to see it like an evolution, just like we saw the last 10 years, right? Like, it's not going to be like, oh, we had like some snap and aliens came and like, you know, we just warp speeded a hundred years or something. But I do think that like, we could see very crazy innovations because the scary thing is, is that we're incentivized to kill each other right now. Like we put on masks of deception and like cults of personality, like culture is cult. And so we have to create groups to collude with each other. It's, religion is a form of forced spirituality, all, and governments are a form of forced marketplace. The duality need each other to juxtapose, to justify the violence. So we live today an average of about 80 years, 90 years, and our incentive is to kill each other. So... What's going to happen once we commercialize Bitcoin, which is probably going to happen in the next 10 years, where now we have an actual advantage to try to make each other live longer? Because the way that it works is that the more people that are in a public protocol network, the more value the network has, and it's voluntary, not forced. So you can't force people to join it. They have to want to join it more. So like, this is going to incentivize... like real healthcare, not like sick care, you know, proactive, not reactive, right? Like true trust, not like pretend trust or kind of trust, which is really a zero because trust is binary, right? One or zero. You can't like kind of trust something. It's not sort of trustworthy. It's either trustworthy or it's not trustworthy. And like, these are concepts that we've never understood. I don't even understand them. And I'm talking about them because I have no perception of what this will look like 
right? Like that's, that's my reality is that like, I still live in the old reality like everybody else does. You know, I shop at stores that are, you know, controlled by governments and I run business that's controlled by governments. So like, these are realities now. We also build public protocols that, you know, are kind of entities in, in and of themselves. And, you know, it's just this transitional period right now that we're in that we need to accelerate through by commercializing Bitcoin, you know, getting governments and businesses to start adopting software that is ransomware proof and, you know, utilizes, you know, Hercules, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <So>. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's all amazing. Like, I feel like I feel like we're kind of going through another trend that's like the same as before, which is like before, you know how how man got rich was by pillaging each other, and then and then capitalism kind of made it to where to to enrich ourselves we kind of serve each other. So I kind of feel like it's kind of like repeating, you know, what you said is is kind of like we're repeating this whole trend, you know, instead of, you know, having this incentive for wanting people to, to, to die in terms of like healthcare or anything else. We'll, you know, with the blockchain, we'll have incentives to, you know, want people to live longer and enrich their lives. And I think that's a beautiful way to, to, to um, ho hopefully I, I did you justice. Oh, I, that was amazing. That was a, that was one of the best interviews I think I've had because you let me talk, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe it won't turn out well because you did that, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. So yeah, <laughs> hopefully it came is out it, all right. Hopefully, uh, yeah, my editor's great. So, you know, okay, but, um, <laughs> <That'll probably help. laughs> but, uh, is there anything else you want to want to talk about man i could listen to you talk no that was wonderful man seriously that was wonderful that was like that was that didn't even feel like an interview that was like that was great so that was that was a lot of fun i mean i think you i think you really touched on stuff people are going to want to hear so um i think that's probably a good good point to wrap it and you know if people have questions or if you want to do a follow-up i'm happy to do that so if you want to do like open mic or whatever then you know or whatever you know i'm, I'm, I'm easy so yeah well that's a great Anthem Blanchard, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Thank you, Brandon. Humbled.